Lord, we can put our hands together. Come on, let's give God a cheer this morning. Amen. You may be seated. How many is, uh, you know, just excited about what the Lord's doing? Amen. And just thankful for what the Lord is doing. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. And the Bible says we will rejoice and be glad in it. How many know some of you had to tell your face to do that today, right? Sometimes you got to tell yourself to do that. Amen. To rejoice and be excited about what the Lord is doing and how good He is. And so uh, if you're joining us online or maybe for the first time, we want to just say a great big uh, God bless you and thank you for visiting with us. And um, for those of you who haven't seen us for a while, you know, we just, uh, we just missed you, I guess. And, um, but, you know, if you're listening and maybe here today and if you have a need in your life, you know, our greatest desire is that you come and you just meet with the Lord today. Uh, you, we can do a lot of things to make the service nice and, and friendly and pleasant. But how many know it's all about Him? And it's all about really finding Him and connecting with the Lord and, and connecting with the Lord. So that's really what we want. We just really pray that uh, our hearts are that you really, anything we say or do uh, in the short time we have today, that we really just hope that you experience God's love, God's blessing, and uh, God's provision in your life. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we just need to count our blessings, don't we? Amen. We just need to say, Lord, thank you so much. Amen. For all that you've given me and all that I have. Amen. How many are just ready just to hear the word? I don't know. We want to get into the word this morning and preach the word. And, um, but before we do, I wonder if we could just uh, have a word of prayer. I'm just so thankful for um, earlier we had prayed for those um, that we're praying for and those that we're concerned about and uh, that we love. And, uh, but I wonder if we could just pray and ask the Lord to come in a special way today and just visit us and, and uh, be with us today through the preaching of his word. Can we do that? Lord, we just thank you for all your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. It's not just a historical book, even though it is. It's not just a prophetic book, even though it is. It is a word that is alive, and it's relevant today. It's right now. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, as we open the word, there's something that happens to our hearts. Our hearts begin to open, and our hearts begin to just, Lord, you know, just get changed. And so I pray, Lord, that through the preaching of, of your word, not because of me, but in spite of me, Lord, that you would just speak today, that you would, Lord, minister today through your word, that your word would become alive in our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is medicine. Your word is, is light. It's just so amazing and so awesome. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. I honor you by preaching your word today. We pray that you would bless everyone that's here. Bless them in their bodies. Bless them in their, their home and their family, their marriages. Bless everyone that's here and listening today. We just thank you for it and give you all the praise. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I can't help but think that hearing... Um, and watching some of the, the news and some of the reports that are out lately, I can't help but feel my heart just overwhelmed uh, about what's happening. How many think sometimes we just live in crazy times, right? And senseless times at uh, certain points. But, uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, uh, God has a great, great plan for our children. I believe God has a plan for family. I believe that God has a plan for all of us to be born in this life and to find Him and enjoy this life until we meet Him. And I believe God's plan, amen, is uh, one that's on, on really kind of targeted by the enemy like never before. I, I believe that we're seeing a kind of an increase on just a, uh, well, if you look through a biblical point of view and a Christian point of view, you can say it is a, a direct attack on the children of of our nation. How many believe that? And, and the family. And it's not just enough to break up the family, but how many know the devil hates family? 
and he wants to destroy children. He, he is a thief, he's a robber, he's a murderer, and he wants to destroy children. And he doesn't care how old they are, how innocent they are, he just doesn't like life. He hates life. And I don't know about you, but we've got an answer today. Amen. We, we, we've got the remedy today. We, can, we have a God, and we serve a God that, amen, heals and delivers and rescues. We have a God that cares about what we're going through. We have a God that really um, is going to bring the answer. How many believe that? God's going God's to step in. I, I believe God's going to step in. And uh, as we pray and we seek the Lord and we do what we can and we speak and we declare some things and we live right, I believe that the Lord's going to really defend uh, the righteous cause of His people in the earth. How many believe, agree with that? Amen? Amen? And how many b believe this, and I've seen this, that a godless system will produce godless people, and a godless people will go further into sin? That's the way it happens without the Lord. And you know, sin is never satisfied, is it? it sin is never satisfied. There's never a completion in sin. It's something that always has to, you have to do something more. You need, you, you can't ever get satisfied. Sin is never satisfied. You know, it's one thing that, you know, well, we, we want to defile the design of God in our bodies and, and our design for marriage and our roles in marriage. And then, then it's not enough. Now we want to go and we want to defile children. And that's not enough. And then we want to do this. And then we want to do that. How many know sin doesn't stop? It just doesn't correct itself. It doesn't get better on its own. It doesn't stop and say, okay, that's enough. You know, we're just going to... How many know it's never satisfied? Is that right? But I believe that God wants to intervene and God wants to help us. And I believe that we do need a divine intervention today. How many believe that? A divine intervention. I don't, I don't mean just, you know, okay, you know, we're just going to make some rules. We're just going to write some policies. We're just going to, you know, get involved more in, in some of the laws. How many know we need a divine intervention? We need a divine interference from the Almighty God. Isaiah uh, prayed in Isaiah 64, and he said, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down and be among us. We need divine intervention. We need a, a, a divine interruption in the course that we're going. I believe that with all my heart. I'm going to believe that. We believe that. And so we got to have the Lord's help. We have to have the Lord's help today. We just have to. And that's one of the prayers that we've been praying is, God, we, we can't do this on our own. We've got to have divine intervention. And we've got to have something that is so spiritual, so supernatural, so strong that it changes the course of human history. How many, how many are praying that way? Do you pray according that way? I mean, God, we need... We need you to come down and step, get in on the scene. How many? We, we need God to get involved. Like, like, you know how they prayed in the Old Testament. It's like, you see what they're doing over here, and we need D, you to get involved. <laughs> like, we've been doing the best we can, but we need you to get involved. Amen. And I believe that the way that the Lord always moves, the way that God always brings change, is He uses something or somebody. He always uses an agent of change. When God wants to do something, He'll bring, he'll bring rain and use, use a flood. Come on. He'll use a cross. You know, He will always bring an agent of change. Always has an agent of change. You know, He raised up Jesus, of course, His Son. And then Paul the Apostle. I mean, Jesus has always been that way. And that because it's God's plan that He uses an agent of change. How many believe that, right? But let me ask this, and I was just thinking about this, is that how can God help us right now? We, we say, well, God, you got to do this. And if you just if took this person out and then you put this person in, and, or if you just supernaturally did this and, and if you did that, how is the Lord going to help us? Can I just tell you that right now that God has already given us the help? 
God, what if I told you that God has already, already given us the help? God has already provided the help. He's already made a way that we can see a change in human history. What if I told you that? Would you believe that? I believe that God has. I believe that God has already given us, uh, amen, the help that we need. How many know that we still need divine intervention? But God has already delivered to us one of the things that we need to help us, and that is the preaching of the gospel. That is the power of the Word of God. How many know you're never going to outlast the power of God? You're never, never going to come to a place as a culture that you're not going to go beyond the reach of the Word of God. <laughs> How many know that? People want to. They think that the Bible's irrelevant and, and it's not, you know, it just doesn't make sense anymore and, and it really is, is useless now. But how many know you can never go outside the reach of the Word of God? Never. You'll never be outside the reach of the Word of God. And I believe that we need to see God move in such a way, but I believe that God has given us this help through the Word of God. I believe that the preaching of the gospel is the help that we need, that divine intervention in human history. How many know that we need an interruption in our timeline? Come on, we need an interruption. I mean a divine interruption. And, I, you know, I can look back and we can say, well, we just need a revival or we just need this and we need that and everything. No, we need a divine interruption. Let me just throw this out. When you see and you read the history of the Bible and you look out of the lay of the Bible, there's two times uh, specifically, uh, and actually it talks about three, but two that we've already seen, where it talks about that there's two times where God got so involved that he brought such drastic change, changed the course of human history, amen, that God came down in such a way that changed history. I mean, I'm not just talking about American history, I mean global history. He came and he moved in such a global scale, such a historical way that changed the course of human history. Number one, we see the flood. There's two reasons, right? What does the Bible say? There's two reasons that God moves this way in a global scale in such a, a, a dramatic fashion like this. How does He move? Number one, the Bible says because the sin was too great. When sin gets to the level that God said, okay, that's enough, how many know God moves and steps and He says, i got to step in? Do you see that in the Bible? But you know what? another place that the Bible says that God moved in such a way? And that was when He hears the cries of His people. When somebody is crying out to God that you would come and rend the heavens, that you would restore what we've lost, that you would heal the broken, that you would do something about this. Come on. When people began to cry out to God, the Bible says that God was moved in such a way, He said, I've got to send a deliverer to, to the children of Israel because I've heard their cry. Amen. Amen. In Joel chapter 2, He said, I've heard the cry of the nations. Amen. Think about it. And God steps down and he begins to move. And so that's what we need doing. But I believe that something that's very powerful for us in a very practical way are really, I need to, I, I feel like today, and especially in our, our country, our nation, is that we need to see the words in red. How <laughs> I many you know what the words in red are? How <laughs> I many remember that first Bible you got? Amen. You had the, the words in black and you had words in red. They were the words of Jesus. And, and the authors and the original authors put words of Jesus in red because they wanted to emphasize the teachings of Jesus. Because they wanted to show reverence and respect and honor to the Lord. And they wanted to set the, make the words of God separate and make it like this is so distinct that we got to put the words in red. But how many know our nation, our city, our communities need the words in red today? I believe that Christians need to live the words in red like never before. Amen. Someone say that you pray the 
pray the black and live the red. I don't know what that means, but amen. Come on, we need to live these things out. But we've got to see the words of Jesus manifest in our day like never before. And that's not going to happen through magical, mystical, some kind of whatever. It's going to happen through us, God's people. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's what the, what the disciples gave their lives for was the absolute preaching of the kingdom of God. Amen. It wasn't just current events. It wasn't just being culturally coherent. It was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Some words in red. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and I'll, I'll give you a second, but in, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I, I thought, well, that was a few people. No, he said baptize all nations. That's a pretty big job, isn't it? That's what we have to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, and teaching them, teaching who? All nations, to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How do we know that Jesus is with us? Because we see that he sent the Spirit. I mean, to believe, amen, when Jesus sent the Spirit, it's like Jesus never left. <laughs> Amen. The Holy Ghost is with us. Amen. How many believe that? Amen. The Holy Spirit's with us. Amen. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19, both of these passages are considered what we consider the Great Commission. In Mark chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says that after the Lord Jesus had spoken to the disciples, talked to them about what was going to happen, His mission, He was taken up, the Bible says, into heaven, and He sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. The Lord worked with them, confirmed His word, by the signs that accompanied it. The Bible makes it clear that it was the words of Jesus that we are to teach to all nations. It's the words of Jesus that as we preach, signs will follow those words. It's the words of Jesus, the words in red, that we really need to be about these days. Amen. The Father's business, the mission of Jesus. And yet, I see it in the church. It's not really emphasized in the church as the way it should be. I believe that if we look at the, the power of the gospel and what Jesus said that we need to do, we'll see that that's where the revolution will take place. Amen? That's where the change is going to take place. Why? Because the gospel changes people's hearts. How I many know you can make all the rules you want to, but unless people have a heart change, nothing's going to change. Amen? And how many believe we need a heart change? I'm telling you, you need a heart change. This is where we're at. And we can't do that on our own, can we? We can convince people in their mind. We can, we, can, we can even go as far as brainwash people. But you can't heartwash people. Only the gospel can. And that's why it's so important. But let me just say this, that the mission of the church is not found in the church. Hello? The mission of the church is not found inside the church. It's outside the church. It's the words of red. That's what Jesus said. You need to go. That's where your mission is. That's where it's all about. It's not so much that, you know, that we need to make such a big deal about Sunday morning and come to church and, and everything rises and falls on Sunday morning. No, this is just part of who we are. This is just part of what we do. How many believe that? Amen. Hallelujah. Man, you got excited when I talked about politics. Anyways, anyways. Amen. But you know, I thought about something. The church is not a fortress where we hide behind those closed doors and we throw rocks at people, shoot arrows at other people. Come on, we lock people in. We, we treat visitors like they're strangers. How many know there's only one fortress and his name is Jesus Christ? Amen. 
That describes the name of Jesus, not the position of the church. Where the Bible says we're to be a mission house, an outpost. Amen. We're, we're to be kind of a, a launching center. We're to be one of these you know, places where you just come in, you get refreshed. Amen. Someone said that the church isn't uh, you know, a fancy restaurant. It's a canteen for workers. <laughs> Amen. I mean, no, we're, we're on a battleship, not a cruise ship. Amen. Hallelujah. That, that describes the church. And yet, this is what it's about. And every time you look at the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, really, this is what Jesus teaches us himself. This is what he teaches us. You need to go and do something about it. That's what the words in red are all about. Go and do something about it. I mean, I believe that's what Jesus teaches us. Go and do something about it. Go and sit on the couch. Go and watch everybody die. Go and, 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 and just, you know, fend for yourself. Go and just feed your... No, the Bible says go and do something about it. That's what the words of Jesus were about. That's what the words in red are all about. Go and do something about it. This is exactly what Christians have done in the strength of the Lord for centuries. In fact, I like this. I read this recently and I just want to read this quote that Christianity has changed or influenced the planet more than any other faith system in the world. Christians have been at the vanguard of the abolition of slavery, the promoter of human rights, the advancement of prison reform, the establishment of child labor laws, the creation of hospitals and educational systems, the champions of human uh, of the rights of the unborn, in the forefront of care of orphans and widows, the protectors of the family, Globin, a global humanitarian aid, we're at the forefront there, establishing justice, law, and peace, and messengers of eternal hope. That's Christianity. I mean, no, that's why? Because of the gospel. It's not because we had all this money, not because, but it was because of the gospel that propelled us. It was the gospel that constrained us. It was the gospel that we had to fulfill. Amen. It was the words in red that we were responsible to live out and to teach and to preach all nations. It was that thing that drove people to do these things. Amen. Most of these things that happened over the centuries usually happened with very little government money, very little money itself, very little help. Come on, amen. How many know some of these things that Christians have done, have led the way in, have been done because of the heart of the gospel? Because a, a, a desire to see everyone saved. A desire for everyone to know the love of God. A desire for Jesus to be revealed. How many know that's the preaching of the gospel? Amen. And so we see this, that Christianity has really been this way. Why? Because we are born again. We're born again, um, not of a reformed. We're not reformed by a system, but we're transformed by a message. That's why, that's why we can do these things. That's why we can make a change. And someone said, hey, we need to change and, and heal the ills of society. Well, let me tell you something. You're not going to do any of that without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Money's not going to change anybody's heart. Money isn't going to heal some of the pain that's going on in our families today. Money isn't going to do that. Amen. There's something that has to be stronger, something that touches the inside of somebody, somebody that changes, alters their, their mind and their will and their emotions forever, and that is the gospel. The gospel is amazing, the gospel is powerful. And I think that from, from now on, you know, I just feel like we, we you know, have to have turn this corner in our society, in our, uh, of the church. We really have to turn this corner that we need to begin to think different. We need to begin to think about uh, the condition of the culture, yes, but we need to think about the potential of the church. Have you ever sat around and thought about the, how bad the world is? And then have you ever turned around and said, you know what, what is the potential of the church? What has God put in our hearts? What has God put in our hands? What has God given us? He's given us the Holy Ghost. He's given us the Word of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. 
And so when we look at these things, we've got to look at the potential of the church. And you're the church. Amen? We're the church. And it's got to be about the words in red. The gospel itself, that definition means good news. It just means good news. It doesn't mean, um, you know, it's, well, it's this really, you know, complicated, uh, you know, definition. You've got to, you know, break it down in the Greek and Hebrew. It just simply means good news. How many know the gospel is good news? Now, I'm going to ask a question, and some of you might think this is like a really weak answer, but let me just say this. What do we need today? What do we need in our society, in our culture today? We need good news. Well, uh, yeah, but we also need a lot of judgment of God. We need, I mean, we need terror. We need fear. We need, no, the Bible makes it clear. The gospel means good news. It means good news. How many know we're going to leave the judgment up to God, but he's left the good news up to us? Amen? I know some Christians are really good at judging. That's great. Okay? There's going to be a day for that. Maybe you'll stand before, beside Jesus on Judgment Day and help him out. But right now, you've been trusted with the good news. Amen? It's good news. Not a positive message. Oh, butterflies, unicorns, and rainbows. It's fluffy. It's good, you know. No, I'm talking about good news. Good news means when somebody's drowning, you've got a solution there. You've got something to give them, to help them. Amen? When somebody's dying, you've got good news. Amen? How many of you know it's good news when you hear, uh, you know, the test showed this, but... But when we did another test, and good news, you don't have it anymore. How I many know that's good news? Uh, you know, I know we told you that you only have a couple of days to live, but good news, you don't have that anymore. You can live a long time now. That's good news. Well, you know, the bank said, well, I'm gonna take, we were going to take your house and all this stuff, but good news, we changed our mind. We're not going to do that. Now, if you know of a bank that says that, let me know. But anyways, good news, isn't it? Good news. It's good news, amen, with God. And so the good news is, and broadly speaking, what is that? Many people think, well, the good news is just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just the Bible. Well, you're, you're partly right. In a broad sense, it is the Scriptures. But in a more narrow sense, it is really the definition of Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. That is the good news. I want to just read you a Scripture here in 1 Corinthians 15. And I just want to show you how Paul delivers this and really talks about the good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, and many uh, uh, really Christians and Christian scholars, and we have in, in Christianity, this is kind of known as our creed. This is, this is really the definition of the gospel. The very first verse of chapter 15, uh, Paul said, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you've received. Okay, so I've declared this unto you, but you received it. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of, of many people, then of the twelve, the Bible says, and all these people, you can read it for yourself. He was seen of uh, up, to, up to 500 people, they say. And after that, he was seen of, uh, well, his, his 500, but then it also says that he, uh, there was a, a really... This greater part, Paul said, at the end of verse 6, the greater part remains under this present, but some are fallen asleep. And we won't get into that. But let me just break this down quick. First of all, Paul said, I received the gospel, then I passed it on. I received this gospel. Now, this is a divine message he talks about. The gospel, how many know the gospel is a divine message? I received this divine message, but then he said, I turned around and I went and I passed it on to somebody else. So that is the preaching of the gospel. 
The gospel, he said here in verse 3, he said, first of all, or of first importance, the gospel. Everywhere the disciples went, everywhere the apostles went, they preached the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, first of all. And then he goes on and he says, then he talks about that the message of the gospel is accompanied by proofs. Isn't it? So this is what he said that we need to talk about. Jesus died for our sins. How did they prove that? They proved it by he was buried. And the Bible says that he rose again on the third day. How did they prove that? They proved that by eyewitnesses. 500 people saw him. It was proved. How many know this is a real gospel? It's not a story. This is real. This isn't something we made up a few hundred years ago. This actually happened. And so all this was done, the Bible says, according to the scriptures. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he lived forever, the Bible says, according to the scriptures. Why? Because the whole theme of the Bible is about the salvation of mankind through Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the gospel. So we could say that the Bible is the gospel, but we need to say this, that the good news is the explanation of the Son of God, and it is the declaration of the plan of salvation. So that breaks it down. It's like, okay, what is, this, what is the gospel? And... Um, you know, if someone said, hey, what, what, is the, what is the gospel all about? Well, you would just basically explain the Son of God. Well, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then you would declare to them, the, really, the plan of salvation. Repent, be baptized, be empowered, be His witness. I mean, no, that's the explanation of salvation, right? And so notice this, you don't need to explain, you, know, you need to explain the gospel, not interpret the gospel. You don't just say what I think of it, how I feel about it, and my viewpoint of it. It's very clear what the gospel is. Very clear. So we don't need to interpret or make it up or redefine it. We just simply explain what's already written. Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Most of the time we say that before a sermon. We say that at you know, a conference. You know, we're getting ready to do this big prophetic conference and you need to have faith to receive. Well, I get it. You can apply it there, but ultimately the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the gospel being preached. Read that scripture there in Romans 10. He's talking specifically about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many believe that faith to believe in Jesus comes when people hear about Jesus? Anybody? I know this is simple. I know you were expecting something deep today. Amen. That's all right. But listen... Uh, and this is what I noticed about it, is it's about the gospel. And so a lot of times I realize that people are going to get saved or born again or converted because they believe in Jesus. Not just because they came to church, listened to you, you convinced them, they read a book. It's because they had faith in Jesus and the Bible says they believe. But listen to this. How can people believe in Jesus unless they hear about Jesus? How can people hear about Jesus unless someone's talking about Jesus? I'm going to believe we need to be talking about Jesus. Now, you, you, you might have got fired from a job one time because that's all you wanted to say. Jesus, 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 right? Okay, we get it. Excited. Awesome. But there's a way to preach the gospel. Amen. There's this explanation of who Jesus is and the declaration of his plan of salvation. Amen. How many believe that the message is real, the message is alive, and it, the message is God-infused? That's why people began to have really just this enlightenment when they began to hear about the gospel because it's God-infused. It's God-breathed. Amen. Right? Notice something here for uh, some of you that really like to study on spiritual warfare. Notice the armor of God. How many have ever studied the armor of God? Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. 
We talk about this, about spiritual warfare and offensive, defensive weapons that the Lord has given us against the enemy. We talk about, uh, you know, just this really just spiritual warfare. But, you know, what's oftentimes overlooked about the armor of God is the shoes of the gospel. How many have ever read about that? You usually read over it. I, 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 the sword of the spirit. Well, we're going to chop some heads off. Okay, we're, we're going to take care of this thing. Shield of faith. I mean, I'm going to, you know, we're going to block the fiery darts of the enemy. I mean, you know, it's, you know, breastplate of righteousness. Well, I got some standards. I'm going to tell you right now, we need to have standards. The, the, you know, the belt of truth. Oh, yeah, we need truth. We got to have truth. And then there's the shoes of the gospel. Let's move on. I mean, no, listen, let me tell you something about the shoes of the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 10, as he's talking about people believing in the Lord, he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In other words, the gospel is what you need to get you there. So you can have the sword of the Spirit, you can have the shield of faith, you can have the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, but you've got to have the shoes of the gospel to get you where you need to go. Think about it. That when you want to, if you really want to get somewhere with spiritual warfare, you need to put on the shoes of the gospel. You need to start going in territory that the enemy owns. You need to start walking in people's lives, getting involved in people's lives where real problems are. Come on, somebody. Where real strongholds are. Some of you are trying to like battle the strongholds in your closet. That's great. Okay. But sometimes God wants you to put the shoes of the gospel on and go where the trouble is. (laughs) Go where the problems are, and then you can exercise the whole armor of God. I mean, believe that. Amen? So don't forget about the shoes of the gospel. Let me give you some examples about when, when, when the disciples heard about the words of Jesus and just about, really, the gospel being preached. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. How many love that scripture? I love that. That's so good. That's, that's just the nature of God. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, the Bible says, And when the disciples had preached the gospel to that city, think about it, to that entire city, they preached the gospel to them, and had taught many, they returned to other cities to do the same thing over again. In Acts chapter 13, verse 44, it says, In the next Sabbath day, uh, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. I mean, that's amazing. I said, that's revival. I said, that's revival. Revival is in Christians packing the church out and everybody wants to get through the fire tunnel. No, revival is when sinners come to hear the word of God. When people gather just to see who Jesus is. That when people get together and say, I want to hear the gospel. How I many you know that's revival? Amen. That's a move of God right there. And so the Bible says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as them were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. I mean, that's huge. Think about it. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll see what happened as they kind of preached the words in red. The Bible says the word of God increased. The word of God increased. That's pretty good. In fact, it goes on and says the word of God grew and multiplied. Then it goes even further and said the word of God grew and prevailed. Think about it. I've got scripture references for that. That's really good. And then the Bible says the numbers of the disciples grew the more they preached the gospel. How many know church growth has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has everything to do with it. 
Amen. It doesn't have anything to do with, with people just coming in a, a, a gym or a building. It has everything to do with the gospel. Notice it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Not just the words of the Apostle, the Acts of the Apostle. I love that. And these examples that we see is, that, man, what happened when they began to preach the words in red. When they began to really go to what Jesus said, all the nations, all the people, groups, and everyone in their world and everyone around them. The Bible says something amazing happened. And so the preaching of the gospel, we see right here in the book of Acts, it changes hearts, it transforms minds, it renews actions, right? Come on. Amen. How I many you know if you want people to really live, amen, and get back to morals, we've got to get back to the gospel. Right. We've got to live according to the gospel. Amen. Come on. Not just following rules and going to church. It's about get back and do start living the words in red. Start believing the words in red. Start teaching the words in red. Start talking about the words of Jesus. Amen. Well, my neighbors will be turned out. Oh, it doesn't, at least you, at least you gave them an opportunity. At least they heard. <laughs> I mean, no, hearing is valuable. Amen. Well, Vermont, I've talked to many, many, many people about the gospel, but I, nobody's really gotten saved. The Bible says that salvation isn't up to you. <laughs> You're only to preach. You're only to declare. You're only to explain. You're only to show. <laughs> Amen. Salvation is up to Jesus. You just keep sowing the seed. Let God work on that seed. Let God water that seed. Amen? Two people. Thanks so much. I told Brother Charles, man, I need, he's all the way in the back today, but I still need that amen section. All right, there we go. Amen. Let's look at the results real quick in the book of Acts when they're preaching the gospel. First of all, obviously, salvation. I mean, this is really what we want, isn't it? Do we want people just to, you know, be good people or we want people saved? I don't know about you, but salvation is like the ultimate thing. We want people to get saved, right? Come on. Salvation was this result. This deep sense of awe of God. This deep sense of reverence. This deep sense of purpose. Salvation of heaven. I mean, all that happened. And then the second thing we see in the book of Acts especially, the results of preaching the gospel, was the power of God was revealed. The power of God, like, I mean, it was just like the supernatural power was revealed. All of a sudden, what, what man couldn't do, all of a sudden was happening. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered. People were, come on, people were just, I mean, it was, it was amazing what was happening. Come on, right? Because the power of God was revealed. Miracles are more likely to happen when you preach the gospel than when you sit in church on a Sunday morning and do nothing. Anybody? And I'm going to just take another step a little further and say miracles are likely to happen, more likely to happen when you preach the gospel than when you just sit on your couch and read the Bible. A meddling now, but that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, that's where you see the gospel. That, I mean, the miracles. And so the power of God is revealed. The third thing is I see the compassion of God is revealed. How are people going to know that God so loved the world except we tell them? How are people going to know that God so loved them so much with an everlasting love? Amen. He created them. He loved them. Before they were born, He knew them. Come on. How are they going to know that unless we tell them? How are they going to know that unless the, 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 the gospel is being lived out in our communities and on our, come on, our groups and our, and our lives? How are people going to know that? Well, they're just, they just need to know. They just, they're supposed to know. No, nobody's going to know unless they tell them. Amen? And so compassion, this great compassion. And let me just say this real quick because I've got to hurry. But I've heard a, a message recently. Um, it, was, it was read. It was a, a message by Smith Wigglesworth. And it was read by another preacher. And it read the entire message. And I really, really liked it because one of the things he's talking about is divine healing and miracles. 
But he really makes us a point to, to emphasize, and he makes a point to say, look, look, it's all about compassion for people. Miracles were poured out in Jesus' life because he had great compassion for people. Where did Jesus get this compassion? Well, he was just a great humanitarian. I mean, he was, I mean, no, he was God manifested in the flesh. And the intense love that God has for humanity was seen through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when he saw the people and he saw their needs and he saw their heart condition and he saw their physical condition, the Bible says he had compassion and many people were healed. Amen? Amen? Come on, Christians, you need to have compassion. You want to have a tremendous healing ministry? Start out with loving people more than you love yourself like Jesus loved them. Start out with an intense love. Start out with meeting their needs, feeding them, clothing them, taking care of them. Come on, looking after them. Having compassion on them. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Miracles are not far behind compassion. Anybody? No, I think if I scream at my neighbor enough and just say Jesus enough, then no, no. if you show compassion like Jesus did, I guarantee you miracles are going to happen. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you in that. See, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. How many believe that? People just don't know. They don't care what you know. They just don't care until they know you care. And then the Bible says, as Jesus, they'll listen. I don't know about you, but I'd love to have people filling this church, packing this church out just to hear about Jesus. But it's not going to happen just by us, you know, putting signs out there and telling people you're condemned, you're judged, you're, you, come on somebody. It's going to happen when they see the love of God. Come on, amen. And there was strong unity, and that's, that's amazing. And there was this generosity of spirit. It was so amazing what was happening in the book of Acts. And, you know, the church grew. I, I like what Joe Champion said from Austin, Texas. He said, the church grew because Peter was in the pulpit preaching the word of God. Not on a platform. He wasn't giving a great presentation. He wasn't a great communicator. He wasn't, had, didn't have this great personality. He wasn't a great entertainer. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what is our role? What is our role? I believe that our role as Christians are to live, and as a church, to live in a gospel culture. To live in a gospel culture. What does that mean? That means that there needs to be marketplace ministry. Where you work, where you live, what you do, where you shop, marketplace ministry, neighborhood outreach, family ministry. This is something that shouldn't be something that we come up with once a year or once a month as a church. This is something each one of us live out in our lives some way, one way or the other. Come on, somebody. Amen. We need to create in our homes gospel culture. We need to create in our lives, in our workplace, some type of gospel culture. And especially in our churches, gospel culture. Amen. Not just a culture where we just minister to Christians and lay hands on Christians and we bless all the Christians and all Christians are prosperity and we all are healed and we're all well, we're all good. How many know that's not the culture Jesus came to, to come on, to, to help? And the culture that Jesus created was a culture of the gospel. And that's what we need. And so I just wanted to encourage you that um, if, if we don't, you, you can have gospel doctrine and not have gospel culture. You can say all the right words and go through all the motions, but we have to create a gospel culture. That's what we work really hard here at our church with our host team and our greeters and, and some of our serve teams is that we want to make people feel that they belong before they believe. Amen? Well, let me just give you some examples. Uh, some of the things we live by are, you know, we rather, uh, we'd rather than just inviting people, we welcome people. 
Rather than avoiding people, we engage with people. And rather than judging people, we show grace to people. How many know that's a culture of of the gospel? That's a culture of the gospel. Most of us would not be here if someone did not welcome us. If someone did not reach out to us. If we did not feel love. If we did not feel grace. If we did not sense the mercy of God through somebody. Come on. Through another life. If we didn't sense somebody actually loved who they were talking to. They cared about who they were talking about. They were impassioned about the message that they had for us directly. How many know most of us wouldn't be here? If it was just somebody just throwing a brochure at us and saying, get to church and get saved, how many know most of us probably wouldn't be here? Amen? By the way, I was the guy that had the brochure. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. That wasn't me. I actually had to come to church. I was born here. Anyways. But, you know, and I just want to quickly finish with this, that I like what... Uh, Alan Hurst said, he's a Christian author and educator, he said, the best evidence for the gospel is a community that lives by it. That's the best evidence of the gospel. So if we do not really focus as a church on the gospel, then somehow we're going to build in an unhealthy way. I believe that we'll get off course and we'll start focusing and emphasizing things that really aren't important. And that's what the Bible teaches us to have this gospel culture. The second thing is, I want to just encourage you about our role and how we can and live this out, is that we can't fully obey the new covenant in isolation. Right. You can't obey it in isolation. Jesus was not on a mountaintop, in a cave, uh, in a palace, alone, with guards. Nobody could talk to him. And you could go you know, visit him once a month or whatever. Jesus was not in isolation. So you cannot fulfill the new covenant in isolation. We have to, amen, be going, as Jesus said. We go and do, and we go and do something about it. The third thing is, is that we need to know the message. It's important to know the gospel, isn't it? A lot of people, I've heard people, well, hey, come to my church, it's crazy, man. And then they go around and come back to testimony service, said, I witnessed this week. You didn't witness this week. You just advertised for our church. Amen. Come on. We need to know the message. Some people have a lot of zeal, but they don't have the knowledge. We've got to have zeal and knowledge. How many know it's good to be passionate about it and excited about, amen, Jesus, but you've got to have the knowledge. So we've got to know the message. Amen. And then fourthly, we need to have the right heart when we go and preach the gospel and and talk about the words in red. We've got to have the right heart. I believe that we need to be passionate, but not passionately offensive. We need to be sincere, but not sincerely wrong. We need to be intentional, but not intentionally abrasive. Amen? Come on, somebody. Amen. We've got to have this passion. We've got to be sincere. We've got to be intentional. Amen. But it's got to be about the gospel, the way that Jesus preached it, in the heart that Jesus preached it, in the attitude that Jesus preached it, with the results of Jesus. Amen? How many believe that? Amen. And so I just want to encourage you today and really talk to today. Just a few minutes. I don't even know how it was going to come out. You know, it's just one of those things that the Lord just wanted me to share this morning about the gospel. And I think that one of the things we, we, we have a tendency to think, well, I'm not the evangelist. I'm not the, I'm not the, you know, that's not my personality. I'm just, you know, and, and sometimes we just kind of look at it and we say, well, that's, that's for this part of the church or for this ministry in the church or that individual. They got the personality. I really don't. Amen. How many know every one of us need to be speaking and preaching or declaring some way or some form the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news? A lot of us look around into the world today and we say, well, I believe that the world needs judgment, they need fire, they need corrected, they need, they need all this stuff. I mean, we need a complete overhaul. We, I mean, we need all this stuff. But, I mean, I believe that sometimes you just need to look around and say, the gospel, you know, people need the good news. 
people need the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many believe that? How many are here as a result of the good news? How many are living this good news out? Amen. Come on, let's stand on our feet today. Amen. I just uh, I read this quote from William Booth. If you don't know who he is, just I, I encourage you to do a study on him and his wife and kind of the founders of the Salvation Army. William Booth wrote this a long time ago, and he challenged Christians. He said, what are we living for? What is the deep secret purpose that controls and fashions your existence? What do you eat and drink for? What is the end of your marrying and giving in marriage, your money, your making money, and your toils and your plannings? Is it the salvation of souls, the overthrow of the kingdom of evil, the setting up of the kingdom of God? If not, you may be religious, but I don't see how you can be a Christian. Amen. In Romans chapter 10, again, the Bible says, How are people going to believe unless they hear? How are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are people going to hear unless someone is preaching the gospel? And how can anybody preach the gospel but they first go? And what did Jesus say? Those words in red. Go. Just go and do something about it. Go and preach the gospel. And so today I just want to encourage you, amen, that we as Christians really need to just continue to live out the words in red. We need to begin to talk about the words in red. We need to begin to explain to people who the Son of God is and declare to people the plan of salvation. Now I wouldn't put it in King James Version. I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to some of my neighbors the way I talk to you about the Lord. You don't have to, amen. I mean, no, we just can talk their language. Just talk normal, amen. Just be, just be uh, a human, <laughs> just be normal, amen. But I believe that through your personality and the way that God moves through you and the way that God has really touched your heart, God can use your words to communicate to somebody else the plan of salvation. How many believe that God is so passionate about people? He's so passionate about people. I mean, what the Lord sees about what's going on with our children and the plans that the devil has to destroy our kids, this is touching the very heart of God. This is a very sensitive issue to God's heart. Don't you think the Lord wants us to do something about it? Don't you think the Lord has a plan about this? Don't you think that God has a remedy for the, what's going on in our culture and our society? I would say, yes, He does. It's the words in red. It's the teachings of Jesus that will set people free. It's the teachings of Jesus that will protect our children. It's the teachings of Jesus that will save this uh, culture and this society. Come on, somebody. It's the words in red. It's the teachings of Jesus that we need today like never before. I don't know about you, but we don't need all these elaborate programs and all this stuff. We just need to get back to the words in red. We just need to start talking to people about Jesus and the words of Jesus and who Jesus is. Amen. Do you agree with that today? Do you believe that with all your heart today? Do you believe that we're called to the gospel of Jesus? If you believe that today, then maybe you can ask the Lord, Lord, how can I do this? How can I take the next step and how can I do what the disciples did? How can I go? Where can I go? Which, which way do I go? And how do I do that? Can we do that today? Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have put in our hands. You have put in our mouth, as Romans says. This is the answer. This is the help. This is the remedy that our society needs today in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I don't think it's watered down. I don't think it's too weak to save. I don't think, Lord, that, that your word is irrelevant today. I, I don't think that it needs to be mixed with anything else. I think the gospel by itself is good enough, Lord. That's my heart. I believe that. I'm convinced of that today, that the gospel by itself is good enough to save. 
And Lord, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for every individual in this room. No matter their age, no matter where they come from, no matter how, how, where they are in their life, you have a plan for every single person to deliver the words in red, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that you put it in our hearts. Help us to speak it out. Help us to convey that message at the right time, to the right people, and the right words. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Help us, Lord, know when to say, what to say, how to say it, to who to say it to, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we're going to be a church that's just absolutely infused with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for the harvest coming in. Thank you for the precious souls, amen, that need your word today. Thank you for them, Lord. Amen. Send us to people who need us, Lord, today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen and amen. If you need prayer today, amen. We want you to, there's a prayer team that comes right around the front here. We want you to feel welcome and, and uh, to come up and get prayer. If not, uh, someone will.